All right, I don't, did, did everybody get a copy of, of this paper? Did y'all get a copy? Okay. If y'all will, uh, hold on to the, this to the, for the next few weeks. We'll get started tonight and kind of get a, a little bit of a, a foundation on what we're going to be doing. I'm, I'm not sure how far we'll make it in. I don't want to try to just blow right through it and uh, miss a lot of this good stuff. But kind of taking a deep dive on uh, how we got the Bible. Um, Kevin had brought this up a few weeks ago before, you know, we got hit with sickness and, and called out Wednesday, Wednesday night services. But, you know, I think it's a question that we all at some point in our walk wrestle with. How, how did we get the Bible? Um, how can we trust the Bible? How do we know that this is the absolute Word of God? Because it was written by men. Men's hands penned this, but um, how do we know they wrote down the right things, right? So that's some of the questions that we're going to look at. So we're going to use this as our guide. I am going to read off of this. Um, and stop me at any point if we want to ask a question or miss something, don't understand it. I don't think we're going to get super deep tonight. We'll just see where we're led, but um, let's go ahead and get started. So it's how we got the Bible. Uh, this is, uh, was an article written by John MacArthur. Several of us in here follow his teachings. He's a pretty sound teacher, probably one of the most sound teachers of our age. Um, a good pastor, a good teacher. It says, Ever since Eve encountered Satan's barrage of doubt and denial, which we knew happened in Genesis 3, everybody knows the account of, of Satan coming to Eve, Mankind has continued to question God's word. It's a true statement, right? When you hear people that are um, coming against Christianity or you offer, you, a lot of times you might witness to somebody, what is their main problem? How do I believe what you're telling me? Right? Even though you can show me in this book, how do I believe that? Another problem they have is how... Can a good God, if God's so good, why do all these bad things happen? And that's a whole other lesson for another time, but that's some of the things you'll hear. But they have a problem with believing what man has written down, right? It says, unfortunately, Eve had little or no help in sorting through her intellectual obstacles to full faith in God's self-disclosure. So what God had said she got led astray from it, right? So you got to ask the question, whose responsibility was that? So let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 and 17. I think it would be very easy to flip to your front of the Bible, but you got about 30 pages of notes in the front, right? All right, chapter 2, verse 16 and 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, right? Commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of the tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, shall, you shall surely die. So there's a command there, right? Eat of anything you want to in here, but don't eat of that tree right there. 
Because as soon as you do, you will die. It's pretty clear, right? So you see Satan go to Eve. Who should have Eve, who should have led Eve away from what they knew was right? She knew it was right too, right? So the command was given to the man. And we can blame it on the woman all day long for eating it, but it's both of their fault. She ate it, and he wasn't there to stop her, right? Either way, that was part of the plan, though. This was. <laughs> we don't need to bring up no personal stuff. He wasn't listening. It was just probably he had the volume. Yeah. Right, right. We're going to get into a marriage lesson. We're trying to figure out about the Bible, right? <laughs> okay. So God's word had been spoken to her, and you see that it says here Eve had little or no help in sorting it out. Okay, looks good to me. Let's take a bite out of that and eat it. Because deep down inside, you see there was something there that she had the opportunity to grab that fruit. I want to be just like God. That was the, that was the deal, right? It says, now, the scripture certainly has more than enough content to be interrogated. Considering that it's comprised of 66 books, 1,189 chapters, 31,173 verses, and 774,746 words. Would y'all like to count them for proof? No. I didn't think so. When you open your English transla translation to read or study, you might have asked in the past or are currently asking... How can I be sure that this is the pure and true word of God? How can we be sure? You can give a bunch of answers. You can give a bunch of, a bunch of answers. But I'm telling you what I've ultimately come up with in my mind, and you can tell me that if, if, if you differ from it, because I'm only going only gonna to say what I see from Scripture, Unless it is given to you to understand that it's true, you're just not going to believe it. Unless God gives you the faith, eyes to see and ears to hear, it won't happen. We still want proof though, right? Why, why does the Bible continually say, when you hear the word, examine the word that you've heard. Make sure it's true, right? Because if all we're going by is what man says, we already know where that leads, right? I mean, look at the very first account of man, how easily away from the word of God they went. So we need to know for sure in our teaching, in the preaching, in everything. Kevin has, and Nick used to do the same thing. Don't take my word for it. And that's why the style of preaching that Kevin uses, which is expository preaching, it leaves no guesswork. Even though we might wade through just miles and miles of context, man, if you miss the context, you miss what God was saying. And so that's why I love what he does, because you can't walk away and go, I didn't hear God's word. I just heard Kevin talk today. You can't do it. You cannot do it. Because he walked you right through the scriptures, and they come to life. How many books do you know can change your life for good? You might get a nice, warm, fuzzy feeling 
reading some romance or a hallmark or anything can just give you some feeling, but a, a, a change, a change in your life. So this is something that's supernatural that happens. They are just words in a book, but they're God's words in a book, and they're life-changing. So, moving along. A question of this kind, which the question was, how can I be sure this is the pure and true word of God? A question of this kind is not altogether bad. It's not, right? Especially when one seeks to learn with a teachable mind. That's the key, right? I want to know that this is true. One of the things we're going through in Sunday school right now is the gospel according to John, and we're asking the question, who is Jesus? Why should we believe he is the Messiah? It's the testimonies of these people. Why should I know? Should I just take Jesus' word for it? And Jesus said, no, just my account is not enough for you. You need to hear everybody else, but you also need to hear that I come uh, by the will of the Father. I don't do my own will. I do the will of the Father. He's not independent, right? So it's the same way here. This is the testimony of men and some women of God, and this is God's word through them. So here's, uh, it says, the scripture invites the kinds of, uh, how do you say that word? Queries. That a sincere student asks. A whole host of questions can flood the mind, such as, where did the Bible come from? Whose thinking does it reflect? Is it all of Paul? Is it all of the Holy Spirit? Or is it Paul and the Holy Spirit? You think about that. How did they know who wrote what? Some of the books, they don't clearly say who the, who's writing, right? So they go by styles, writing styles. So that, there's something else to think about. Who wrote it? Man or God? And man and God. Who's thinking, or uh, did any books of the Bible get lost in time past? It's another good question, right? Some of the, uh, what was it, the Dead Sea Scrolls, they were found just in the last, when was it, 19... 40s, 50s, somewhere around there by a little shepherd boy and found them in caves. Now that wasn't the original writings, but it lined with the original manuscripts that had been passed through the years. And so it kind of bolstered that, that right? It kind of reassured that we have the right version of this. What does the scripture claim for itself? Does it live up to its claims? Who wrote the Bible, God or man? That's another one, right, that we just went over. Has Scripture been protected from human, human tampering over the centuries? There's some versions of the Bible that are out right now that have been heavily tampered. They are bad, bad. There's one that is like, a, what was it called? It came out a few years ago. Now, the message is one that's kind of, yeah, it's, it's out there, but there's another one. The slang Bible. And, and basically it was like Jesus and Satan had beef and blah, blah, blah. That's how it, that's how it reads. Now that's just people talking. Is that for everybody? Is that the closest translation to God's Word? And that's another reason why if you look, 
Because a lot of people wonder, why do we use the ESV? It's one of the closest to the original manuscripts that you can find. And you'll actually see in there, and Kevin has addressed that, that down on some of yours, it'll say, so-and-so verse omitted. They didn't take it out. But the reason that it's not there is a lot, the majority of the original manuscripts did not include certain verses. And so they put it at the bottom because it didn't line, align with what was going on. King James Version has a lot more verses in it. Uh, well, not a lot. I say a lot. It has several verses in it that are not in your ESV, but they... Yeah, we can go, we can go over that. Turn in your Bible to John, let me remember where we're at, I think it's John chapter 2 or 3, do you remember Vance? It was 4 I believe, it's where he went down in the water, was it 5? Yeah, it is, chapter 5, and somebody read me your verse 4. It will, it will be at the bottom, though. It will be at the bottom. John chapter 5, your verse 4. Does anybody have a verse 4 in their Bible? I'm not telling you your Bible's bad if you have a verse 4. Right. Right. Okay. So, in your ESV, it'll say that same thing or close to it down at the bottom. So, anything that's been omitted will at least be put down there for you to see. Does it make a difference? Right now, they say there's only 5% of your whole entire Bible that's in question of whether or not it is the original. And none of it violates any of the doctrines. None of it. None of that 5% can you say it wavers you one way or the other. It's just a simple little argument over a word or something they, that they understood a little bit different, but it does not affect any of the doctrines. And what I mean by that is the major beliefs, baptism, salvation, things that matter, right? Not things, because we can pick anything out in this Bible and sit here and argue over it back forth all day long but these people are super smart way smarter than I'll ever be and they get down into the deep deep things and they can't agree on one little thing so 5% of your whole entire Bible that lets you know that this thing can be trusted with everything right my secretary is letting me know so the reason that, the, the reason that I, re I read, because I wanted everybody, I didn't know if anybody would pick up in class, but I wanted everybody to see, because I was going through, and usually when I study, I write verse 1, and this is what I see in verse 1. In verse 2, when I got to verse 4, I was like, 5? Where did verse 4 go? So I'm like, why is it not there? And when you look down at the bottom, it's there, but I'm like, why did they not include it? This, this was more than likely... 
based off of church history, and, and this was more than likely something that they believed as a people, not that God had said an angel comes down and stirs these waters. And the first one that jumps in, the mosh pit gets healed. Could you imagine stirring the water and whoever gets there first gets healed? Well, the person that needed it the most ain't going to make it any time at all, right? So they're thinking there was a bubbling in this water, whether it was gas, no matter how it was there, was, there was some motion in this water every so often. And the tale was they believed the, that the angel would stir it up. Well, through different writers, that's how it got into the Bible. But when they went back, when they were writing the ESV, they went back and they studied, and they go by, <clears throat> letters would be sent out to all the churches of the manuscripts. And they went back to geographic locations, and the majority of them did not have that. And that's why you will see that verse at the bottom. Does that matter at anything at all? That the angel stirred it or didn't stir it, does that matter in this story? Because the, the purpose of the story is to show that Jesus heals. Jesus has the power of God. Jesus is God. And he healed this man. And if you know... On the Sabbath. On the Sabbath. That's the most crucial point. That's the most, right, that's the most crucial point. He healed him on the day where you weren't supposed to, remember Kevin saying, lift a box up. You couldn't lift a box no higher than this. And you couldn't walk out of your house with it. So you couldn't take a box to your neighbor. That's how held down, that's how... Uh, well, they were, they were dogmatic, right, about everything. They even said that on the Sabbath that God did not do His whole God work. He just did part of it. Now, if God only do, does part of His work, we cease to exist, right? Yeah, we are in a mess if He's only lifting the box this high, right? If He can't go to His neighbors. I mean, think of these things, right? So Jesus did it on the Sabbath for a purpose. But back to the point is, that's why it was omitted. It was not in the majority geographically where this church, where this was all happening, where these were sent out. wasn't in the majority of them, so they didn't put it in there. All right. So why do you think maybe they didn't number accordingly? Well, instead of making verse 5 next, right. didn't they go on? It would have when you already have a King James, and the King James is a trustworthy translation. It's one of the earliest ones. That, the, the New American Standard Bible was another one. It's a little more archaic to read, and you know how hard a King James version, to, to the older folks, they can read it and they can understand it, but you hand it to me, and it's hieroglyphic. I, I can't understand it, because I, I didn't grow up in a time where people understood that way, they talked that way, and so it seems archaic to us. The same thing with the New American Standard. I can understand it better, new, uh, better than the King James, but I think they didn't, they, they just omitted it because it would throw everything else out of line in that chapter. So when you reference John 3.16, if 3.15 was the one they omitted, and I reference 3.16, it's going to be 3.15 to everybody else, and I, you know, that just Right. Right. right, and I think that's why the ESV didn't just say, do away with it. They put it down here, for like here you can see what was written there and see if it's of importance, right? And we can clearly see 
It doesn't matter in this context. Okay. How close... Did we go over that one? No. How close to the original manuscripts are, to, are today's translations? Hey, Chris, did you know that it's over uh, 12,000 translations of the Bible? It's, it is a bunch. Because in each language are multiple translations. Right. And that's a ton. That's a ton to go through. And I, then you've got to ask the question, because if you are in a message Bible. I have one, I had one in my house because at one point I wanted to understand the Bible in the most simplest way that I possibly could. And it's like me and you having a conversation right now. And I thought, man, that would be so great. But then when I started learning how to study this translation for myself, and then I would go to this Bible over here, I, I was like, they ain't even close. They're not even, they're missing the whole point of what God was saying here. Please, throw that one out. Throw that one. Don't bring it up on your Bible app. Don't, don't bring it up. There's, there's some other translations that are a little bit easier to understand, but really challenge yourself when you're reading your Bible. I mean, put in the work. There's so many helps that are out there now. You're not just left with your Bible anymore. Um, there's plenty of um, encyclopedias. There's plenty of concordances, the, the interlinear, where you can understand that if they use a word like love, we have one word, love, right? How many? Six. Six different loves in this original language, and they all look like something different. When you get down to it, I think the one word we say, short uh, agape, I was just listening to a message, it's funny, just listening to a message earlier today, agapeo actually means love that does not expect anything in return. And that's the, that's the love that uh, God has. Because really, think about His love towards us. He gave us His only Son. Were we, were we in good standing with Him when He gave it? Expecting nothing in return. Because guess what? We can't give him anything back. We could never repay him for that. We're sinners. So you see that this original, the original meaning, number one, I don't know how many people that, that are around me that can speak Greek and Hebrew. I'm going to go with zero. I can't understand any of it, but interlinear, the definition of what you're going over Never approach this book with how fast I can get through something. When you're really wanting to, when you really believe that this is God's word, and you really want to hear from God, God ain't going to be like, pss, 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 and that's it, right? You think of your mind in the mind of God. And it has been written for us to understand. It's not a book of confusion. But this is also not a book that you're just going to flip a couple pages and then, oh, pff, I got, yeah, I understand that. That's not how it works. Take your time. Take your time. The, the, how close to the original manuscripts are today's translations? Scholars and scholars and scholars. And believe me, when people are very smart, they want to argue, have argued this thing through, and some of the translations that we have available today are as close to the original as possible. You could read Greek and Hebrew. You can go back and read the exact original, right? As close as you can get it. The, the words and everything. I can't speak it. 
How did the Bible get to our time and in our language? Do you know what was done for you to have this book in your hands? This book that we just sit down wherever and toss it in our car, do you know what happened to get this book in your hands? Think about how great it is to live in America, right? Think of how great it is to have a military that protects us. And we have this freedom because of that military. But do you know what has happened for this book right here? To be in your language, to be in everybody's hands. Go back, go back and look up the Puritans. Go back and look up how you got your Bible. Bible. Death. I'm not talking about it just a bullet. I'm talking about excruciating. Burned at the stake. Torn into pieces. You name it. Just to get you your Bible. Gives you an appreciation that God said no matter what, no matter if people have to die for my sake, this Bible will be in everybody's hands. I mean, think about it. They sneak Bibles into countries right now. Sneak them in. They had them like drugs just to get them into other countries. Knowing that if they get caught, what happens? Dead. Yeah, look up William Tyndale and look at his story. And then you will, you will appreciate this book in your hand a little bit more. Is there more scripture to come beyond the current 66 books? We can probably smash that right now. We just went through it on Re in Revelation, right? You add. But I'm not playing when I say this. Flip on a TBN, flip on a, any of these stations, and it's always a new word. Jesus calling, throw that out. Please throw that out. God's not going to give you something more than his word. This is it. This is the final, his final say to man. There's nothing to add. You don't need to add anything. And if I believe that God needs to give me something more, I really need to check myself. I've elevated myself too high and God too low to think I'm special that he's going to talk to me and it not align with this, right? I'm not saying that God won't show us something or we won't have a thought pop in our mind. Does God openly speak and everybody just hears a message and it's contrary to this? Absolutely not. Anything that you hear or anybody that somebody, anybody tells you they have heard from God and it does not align with this book right here, it is not from God. And anything not from God is from the devil. Let's get that straight too. If it's anything contrary to the word of God, it's from the devil. We, we have revelation, but they come to us through our understanding of the word. Right. Right. That's called divine illumination. Yep. When God shows you something, even if it's like you said, the same verse, when God shows you something in a new way every time, divine illumination. Every bit of it is supernatural. And that's the part that we try to wrap our minds around. It's not magic. It's not that God hocus pocus the wand over our head and said, understand this now. 
If you understand, now we're starting from how we got the Bible, so we could all play dumb and don't know anything about this, but this is very good foundation to know how we got it and, how, and, and just, I guess, reassure us how we can trust this word even more. But I forgot what what did you just say? What what why illumination. divine illumination. Everything is supernatural that happens in your life. If you understand that God is sovereign over all things, then when it is time for you to understand the word that He has given you a little bit deeper, it'll be from your obedience and Him allowing you to understand it. I read the book of Hebrews probably 10 times in the first three to five years that I was in church. And every single time, I felt like more words had been added into my Bible. I understood it. I was like, where did that come from? I'd turn around to her sitting on the couch and go, why did I not see this? Did, have you seen this and you're not telling me you've seen this? You know? And it was, it was only that God, if he, if he allowed you to see everything that he's going to allow you to see in your lifetime, you'd pro your brain would probably explode in your skull. It's just, it's too much. It's too much. But little by little, you know, they call it a walk, the Christian walk, not the Christian run, not the Christian sprint. It's a slow thing for a reason. Tree grows up too fast. What happens when wind blows through? Snaps it in half. It's a slow growth, but it's progressively, you know? Okay. So there's no more scripture to come. Who determined and on what basis that the Bible would be composed of the traditional list of 66 books? That is a big question. And, and when you go to search it out, you'll be more confused than when you started. What you need to understand is, and I think... Second, is it Second Peter? This was already happening as the Bible was being written to some degree because you have the majority of the writings. You think whenever, whenever Paul was teaching, what was he teaching from? Old Testament. When Jesus preached, he was preaching the Old Testament. So the majority of your New Testament is just taking the Old Testament and preaching it. Nothing, God did not change from the beginning. He didn't get in the old, a lot of people think this, that God was just so wrathful. He just killed people. He was just about spilling blood in the Old Testament and he's super chill now. Well, you missed the book of Revelation because he still wipes everything out. You think that he, he's chilled out now? Read that book and tell me how chilled he looks when it comes to his glory and people uh, that are his enemies and when he pours out his wrath. He's the same. But they were preaching the Old Testament. Even when you look through the preachings of Jesus, he was preaching. It has been said, this is going to happen. This is the person. And here it's fulfilled. And it has been said, and, and Paul does the same thing. I mean, when they ask um, John the Baptist, who are you? Who do you quote? I am the one crying out in the wilderness. I'm the voice, is what he said. He didn't, even, he didn't even identify with a human being. He said, I'm a voice. Came from Isaiah. They spoke the Old Testament. 
They preached the Old Testament because that was God's word. God said. And then you have God saying in Jesus the Old Testament. So don't think that the New Testament is just where it's at. Don't think we just hang out there and don't go backwards because it's confusing. The Old Testament, God says. The open, in the same way the New Testament, Jesus is speaking. The Holy Spirit is speaking through people. I was trying to find, I think it's 2 Peter. He makes a claim basically saying, that Paul had written about these things. So it wasn't that they didn't have, and I'll have to, maybe I'll, I'll try to bring it back next week whenever we come back into it with Kevin, just to bring it back up again. What are you looking for? It's where he was, he was quoting what Paul had said. And it was, it's basically giving you, what is it? 315, I think what you're looking for. Might be. 2 Peter 3.15 And count the patience of our Lord as salvation just as our beloved brother also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. That's right. And as he does in all his letters. So how would he have known about all these letters, right? So these were already being distributed. Even though they were still going by the Old Testament, they had the writings from Paul. All these different writings were out there and they were kind of bolstering what they were, the other ones were saying. I mean, John was written after all the other three Gospels. He says the same things to a certain degree, but then there's also things that you didn't know really kind of the story ends in the other three Gospels, and he's adding to it. A adding to, like, like reassuring that what they said is true. I'm sorry, I lost it. Read it for us. Right. I love how he went back to where Jesus Christ and grace alone mm -hmm. and all of the doctrine that was being taught in that. I love that. Right. So they were it was this thing was already being compiled. Now as far as you get to the canon of scripture, some of it started happening prior to Jesus even coming, and the majority of it happened after the fact. You can look at the Catholic Bible, which has the Apocrypha. Why is that not in here? That's a question to ask. That's a question to search out. It's because it did not align with everything here. Even though it could have been things that were talking about stuff that had happened, did it support the rest of it as being God's word, or was it man's opinion? We can see by their faith 
that things have been misled in directions, right? Preacher, if I'm not mistaken, that's how we got many of the, the, the translations that we have now is because of discrepancies in yes. the Catholic writing. Yes. You have the Vulgate that came out, and then you have all these. And, and so that's kind of where you see some splits. That's where you see splits in, in beliefs. That's where you see splits in, in the Catholics from everybody else. You have, and that didn't happen to what, 1600s, where we kind of drew a line in the sand and said, no more, we're going this direction, right? Through the, the Reformation, you see a lot of this because they were saying, they were using the Word of God and saying it was grace plus works. You were not saved. When you look at the Catholic faith, they say that you are saved, so imagine you have this line. You've heard me describe this line here. And you're, you're up here and you're safe. You're saved and you're walking around, and then you sin. You fall back out. So now you have to work yourself back into salvation again. Now, at what point, if we're honest as sinners, at what point do you ever get back above that line again? I mean, I drop off that line every day at some point, right? So think of the burden of going through this. But Scripture says grace alone, through faith alone. But they were also getting all that from the Pope alone. And that's why it's important that we have the Word in our hands. Right, right. Russ so, right there was a kicker right there. Right. They were getting it from the Pope. Mm -hmm. That word right there is the inspired word of Jesus Christ. The writer of that, those books right there inspired by the Spirit. Thus, it was not Paul, right? It was his Spirit. Paul was only interpreted and put it on paper. Right, right. And I, I think we owe, I think the gentleman's name was Erasmus, and he took the original, he he was a Catholic. He was, I mean, all, all of the reformers were Catholics. Right. So, so when I say that, don't... Don't take it as today's Catholic. It's not today's Catholic. They right. were, because everybody was Catholic from, uh, from that time period up. The name sounds familiar. Took and took he he because everything they had was Latin at that point. Mm -hmm. The Catholic Church had turned. You didn't have access to a Bible, so it was everything was Latin. But he was able to get his hands on the original Greek transcripts and put them into German. Where's Martin Luther? Well, that well, Martin Martin studied off of this person's writings. Right. From he was the one that had the thesis. Everything that they said, and he battled against it when he nailed the 95 thesis to the Wittenberg. Yes, sir, to the Wittenberg. But this, I think it's Erasmus, is the one that trans he transcribed everything out of the original Greek or out of, you know, to German mm -hmm. and uh, saved because, you know, luckily the Catholic Church had not destroyed right. those original copies. God had not allowed. That's where you see God's hand in on everything. So if you say man has, well, it's been Satan. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It's been Satan working through man trying to get rid of this, trying to destroy this, trying to distort this, trying to make you think that you understand it, that it's not important to read it. When these hold, this holds the very words of life. If this is the only way that we can live the Christian life well, 
why in the world would we not open it up? It's very, very convicting because how many times do we pass it? How many times do we not make time for it? How many times, I mean, think about it. It's not just saying, oh, we just feel refreshed for the day when we open the Bible to begin with. This is God's Word, and if there's power in God's Word, and I can preach that Word to myself all day long, how much more am I going to be able to fight my sin? Right. If we're not, if we're not studying this word for ourselves, we're taking somebody else's word for it. We're saying that that's good enough, and we don't need to read this, God. We we've heard your word preached today. We don't need to do this. We. I mean, think about it. Satan would love nothing more than for you to buy three hundred of these and never pick them up, because it's out of three hundred other people's hands. So why in the world, why in the world would we take it so for granted? And I'm not trying to just preach it, y'all, because literally I'm smacking myself the whole time of every time that I skip a day. That I just pick up a verse at the end of the night and I'm ha almost half asleep, but I've got to read something or I'm going to feel bad for it. But really, I needed that word all day long. Sunday's not just enough. It's like eating on Sunday and expecting to stay full the rest of the week. You're not going to do it be starving to death and your mind is going to chew on something and when it ain't chewing on God's word it's chewing on the devil's that's just the way it is so before I take off here if the scriptures did we skip one they determined if the scriptures were written over a period of 1500 years so from 1405 BC to AD 95 passed down since then for almost 2,000 years and translated into several, several thousand languages. Kirby just said about 12,000, so think of that. What prevented the Bible from being changed by the carelessness or ill motives of men? Now, we know we have bad translations, but we also know that we have really, really good translations based off the original. So there's a little bit of, of safety net there, right? But as we dig deeper into this, one of the questions I want you to ask yourself is, when you study your Bible and you come to a conclusion, what have we learned what to do just on Wednesday night? You want to make sure that it does not violate anything else that God has said, right? Because I can pick up any verse and tell you, well, I think this means, or this is what it means to me. That's, that's, that's one big fault that we can do. I did that so, this was me whenever I first started. I'm going to flip, and I think God wants me to read this right now. And I think to me this means that's, there's danger there. But you know, I think most new Christians do that. Right. Because we didn't know anything. You didn't know where to start. We didn't know. Mm-hmm. Right. You read that and say, oh, I think this means. What does this mean to me? And that's not a, that's, what does this mean for my life is not a wrong question to ask because God's word should be changing your life. But it's not what I think it means. It's what God has said. So if I tell you something and I say, this is the way it is. 
And Francis says, well, to me, I think it means that he didn't really mean it like that. He meant like, but that's the fault that we, we make. God said, and that's it. Now, the context and who he's talking to, there's where, it, that, there's where the interrogation goes down right there. I got to know what was going on and why he might have said this. But think about this. So they, scholars have said this book has no faults. God said it's infallible. It was written over 1,500 years. And you can't pick up a book by man today that don't have a typo in it. By one man. And how many authors? Didn't, didn't it tell us? Here we go. All right. There's over 5,800 Greek manuscripts right. that were done. There were 300 fulfilled prophecies of Jesus in the Bible. And this is one that always that got me is there's 25,000 archaeological finds that are proof that are in the Bible. Of right. Archaeological finds of cities that have been destroyed that they're finding and all, but 25,000 archaeological finds that can prove that the Bible is. Right. And, and people try to prove it that it's not. Right. And one of the, the, the quickest ways they do it is they say, oh, we found bones and they were 100 million years old. Well, you, a man made that test that said that was 100 million years old, right? So we always want to discredit. When we don't want to believe, we want to, we want to tell people there is no God, we try to make it look as much as possible. I mean, when you study, study evolution, just looking at it from the outside, it don't make any sense. And they say it was a change of kind. You could say that we used to be monkeys. Well, I bet all the other monkeys are mad. They ain't got no money. They're still living in the tree. Why didn't they change? And they, and they use, use things like, well, Darwin's theory, where you had a bird and its beak changed shape. But it didn't change from a, a, a cat to a bird. It didn't change. It's still a bird. We adapt just in the climate we're in. So none of that holds up. It really takes more faith to be a non-believer and believe that mess than it does anything else. And people say, well, I don't have any. You have faith. You go through a drive-thru and order something. You have faith that they didn't spit in your food or put a razor blade in it. Or when they put you under in surgery, that everything's going to be on, okay on the other side of it. You have faith in something. So... One of, the, one of the main things that kind of hangs with me is 1,500 years, and I can't remember how many, how many uh, writers there were. I had the number in my head, not just earlier today. And it's been passed down for over 2,000 years, and it doesn't disagree with itself. Does that sound man-made to you? And you've had all of these people over these years arguing these things out back and forth with the original scriptures. This is where you have your canon. This is the, um, a process that we will probably never even understand. And plus man was trying to destroy it all at the same time. The whole time. So you see God's hand in on it. And even though, like I said, we do have bad translations that are out there, they don't stand the test of time. I don't see the message being around if the Lord doesn't come back or God doesn't wipe it out in 100 years. It won't make it. Because you can clearly see that something's missing. 
But for those churches where truth doesn't matter, it's easy to slide that mess in. Whatever makes me feel good, whatever, whatever makes me have a better day and feel better about who I am. You should feel real. When you come to the Word of God and you say, man, I feel better about who I am and the life I've been living and the choices that I make on my own, then you did not hear the Word of God because it is a beat down. It is, you see the love, but you also see the correction. You also see the wrath that if you're outside of his family. But the world don't like, we, we're, you know, we just got to, we want to love one another and that's where we go. And so that's what we pick out. Does today's Bible really deserve the title, the Word of God? Undoubtedly, these questions have bombarded the minds of many. A study of the scriptures alone settles all questions to the extent that there is no need to be bothered by them again. Scripture gives this assurance. Now, one of the things you can wrestle with, if we're going to prove the Bible, and we're going to use the Bible to prove the Bible, we've got to know where the Bible came from. Because how am I going to prove a book true by using that book, right? This is where we're going to find that this is the supernatural part here. Because I can't have a conviction that something is true. What is, I mean, to natural man, what is God's word? It's folly. It's folly. It sounds silly to me. I can remember prior to being a Christian, I can remember people witnessing to me throughout my life. It happened a few times in high school, and it was people, they were, tr they were really trying. I know they were. They were trying to meet me on my level, and I was, a, I was a punk. I was a rock and roller, played in a band. I didn't have any, it was all about me and my glory. And they, I can remember hearing them share the gospel with me. It was an FCA uh, had little meetings. And one of them stopped outside. I happened to be at school early, and they shared the gospel with me. And I can remember thinking in my mind, that is the silliest thing I've ever heard in my life. Number one, I'm not doing anything to anybody. And so what do I need somebody to die for me for? And it's because at that moment, my eyes had not been opened. And so I saw it as folly. It don't make any sense to me. And, and, then, and then, you know, you see it happening. When you witness to people, does everybody respond the same way? Why not? It ain't because of the way they was raised. You could have been raised in the best, most loving house there is, but when the gospel was presented to you, it's only, you're only going to respond when God gives you the ears to hear. Until then, it's folly. All right, scriptures... Self-claims. Take the Bible and let it speak for itself. So when you put it on, when you interrogate the Bible, and you put it on trial here and let it just speak, let it say what it's going to say. Does it claim to be God's Word? Yeah. Yes, over 2,000 times in the Old Testament alone, the Bible asserts that God spoke uh, what is written within its pages 
from the beginning, Genesis 1-3, you know, that's when it says, and God was hovering over the waters, and God said, what? What did God say? Genesis 1-3, I don't want to misquote it. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So there's your first words from God right there. God said, let there be light, and there was what? Darkness. There was light. Said, let there be light. There was light. And then to Malachi 4.3. Malachi 4.3. Right before Matthew And you shall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servants Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah and the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers and their childrens and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That's the last time you see God speak in the Old Testament. And then we have a period there, it was called the interlinear time, it was about 400 years. There was no word spoken at all. Dead silence. Out of that dead silence is where you get all your messed up groups of people, your Sadducees, your Pharisees, this is where all these things, all these um, religious cult-like groups form. It says, To the end, Malachi 4.3, and continually throughout, this is what Scripture claims. The phrase, the Word of God, occurs over 40 times in the New Testament. And we know when we hear the Word of God spoken in the New Testament, God Himself speak is in the person of Jesus Christ. Scripture says that for many years and many ways, God spoke through the prophets, through all the, the forefathers, all those people. He spoke through dreams. He spoke audibly. He spoke through, sometimes through animals. You name it. But, now we hear the Word of God spoken through His Son, Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. The phrase, the Word of God, occurs over 40 times in the New Testament. It's equated with the Old Testament, Mark 7, 13. It is what Jesus preached. Get that. Jesus, God in the flesh, preached the Word of God. Why not? He was God. He's preaching His own message. It was the message the apostles taught. Let's look at Acts 4.31 real quick, and we'll stop after this paragraph. Actually, we're probably going to stop after this. Acts 4.31 says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God 
with boldness, filled with the Holy Spirit, and speak the Word of God with boldness. Nothing is worth preaching, nothing is worth saying if it's not wor the Word of God. And you see time and time again as we go through every one of these verses, you'll see the same exact thing happening. And you'll see that there, there is, where the power is in the Word of God is you'll see that the men were filled with the Holy Spirit, they preached the Word, and then there was a response. You see people being saved, and many came to the Lord. And then the Word of God is preached, and then people come. I mean, how many, how many places have you been where you've seen four and 5,000 people get saved at one time with messages like they preached? These weren't, hey, how are y'all today? Bring a friend next Sunday. These joyous, you just, you know, just love one another. Whenever they stood up and preached, think Jesus had been crucified. You know what they preached? Christ crucified. Told them he died by your hand. And they could have got mad and walked away, but it says they were cut to the heart. And they repented. And 5,000 people were saved in one message. That's not the power of man. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the power of God through you speaking the Word of God. Nobody is going to be saved without hearing the Word of God. It clearly says that. So you know, you see kind of the direction that we're headed. So we're going to use the Bible to back the Bible up. If, if the Bible is the only true what is, the, what is the word? The infallible word. There, there's no fault in it whatsoever. I can't say a few sentences without having some kind of fault or probably disagreeing with what I said on yesterday, but there is no disagreements. There is no imperfections in the word of God. The easiest way to find that out is to read the Bible and see if it says it here. It means that here, it's going to mean that over here. So keep that in mind as we go through this. And uh, I, think, I think you're going to get a blessing out of this. You know, you can look at these things and say they're elementary. But think of this as like a way of apologetics. If I know these things about my Bible, and I know deep down inside me that something supernatural has happened because I know I can trust it with everything in me. But when somebody comes against me, Everybody's heard of apologetics. And I want to defend the faith. Not argue with people, but show them, this is why you can trust the Bible. This is why I trust the Bible. Man, the, the, the impact that you can make. And not only that, it just when you look at the details of the Bible and you see where it came from, and you see that you can trust it, it just edifies you. It just, it just bolsters your faith even more to go, there ain't no way this thing is wrong. 1,500 years of writing and it's been under translations for 2,000 years. There is no way they, can, they can't find anything wrong here. Now man can pick it out and, and find a million things wrong with it. But when you understand doctrine and you understand the Old Testament and the New Testament and you align them together, it's like one perfect story from start to finish. From the, the fall to the, re, the full redemption. And it's the most beautiful story. I have, I have yet to read every word in this Bible and put it all together. 
But as I grab pieces and knowing the full story, knowing the full story of it, man, the way they come to life, the way they come to life and hearing Kevin preach, it's, there's, there's no way that it could ever come from man. It has to come from something way outside of man. And it tells us that it comes from God. If y'all have any questions whatsoever, remember to bring this back with you next week. There's plenty more to go through and dig, dig deep. The Greek. He took the Latin Vulgate and ancient Greek scrolls right. to come up with a modern Greek New Testament. Luther took the Greek Testament to God. Right. And you know the easiest way to be misled is to give you something that you can't understand. So if I can only understand this language and you can't, you don't need this book, you can't understand it. You just take, take my word for it. I could tell you to do anything. How do, you, how do you come to this book and say, this is it, this is, the final say, this is the final say on everything, and if it doesn't align here, but then you have a pope that can go against it and say, well, I got a new word from God, I'm a representative of God, you listen to this. When you, when you see what a mess it creates or you wonder what it looks like, just look at the Catholic faith. And they need saved just like we do. And you see several that have came out of that. But I'm telling you, some of the problem that you have in certain religions is somewhat of the same problem that we have in America. I, I was just listening about this the other night. It sounded so true. It's like we've been inoculated with Christianity. Meaning like we've taken the, think about taking a shot. You take the virus to prevent the virus, right? So we get just enough Christianity that we're numb to it. That we, we think we know and we can just claim. I think of the majority of America at some point, I think it was up to like 75-80% at one time that said they were Christian. Now it's dramatically decreased. And you kind of see some of that filtering out. But how can you just say that I've been saved and I don't go to church and I, I really don't know what the Bible says and, you know, I just, I think I'm a good person. That's the kind of mentality, some of the good old boyism, I guess. Well, back in the day, too, they would ask you, what religion do you use? Well, <coughs> I'm not Buddhist, I'm not Judaism, I'm not Catholic, so I must be Christian. Right. But that's how they got that survey. I believe there's a God. Yeah. There you go. That's as far as it goes. And oh, I believe, you know, I've, I believe in Jesus, but you live a life contrary to it. And, and, you know, that's some of the reason why people are, can easily look at people like that and go, I mean, why make the claim there? I'm doing the same thing he's doing. Yeah. I don't have to wear a Christian T-shirt. I don't have to go to church. I still, we're still doing the same things, right? So, yeah, I think, that's, I think that's some of the problems that we have in America. It's like we've, we've taken the shot, and we all agree that, you know, we, we think we're good people. But what's going to matter when you stand before God one day? Yeah, I don't know how I got that far off. Sorry. There's a story I heard once about a, a preacher that was arguing, well, not arguing with a man. The man was arguing with him, and he said he could prove the Bible was true, and the guy said, okay, go ahead and prove it. He reached out and kicked his leg. His leg. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs>
All right, any, anybody got anything else? Don't be twisting nobody's noses.